Welcome to Catalytic Curiosity. I'm your host, James with a Y O'Farron with Catalytic Conversations. I serve remote professionals and hybrid organizations with coaching, consulting, and training to help them reconcile humanity and technology, leading to healthier, digitally integrated lives and teams. On this podcast, I am embarking on a journey of discovery to unearth the roots of digital mastery and maturity beyond mere adulting. I interview insightful and intriguing experts exploring how we can develop sage-like maturity with intention in today's digitized world. Today's episode brings coach, trainer, and speaker with Next Steps Coaching, David Swihart. I have been excited to talk about with him on this podcast since before it was even a podcast. David Swihart is a dynamic speaker and presenter with over 20 years of experience. He brings a practical message presented with engaging stories, authenticity, and vulnerability. He will entertain, make you think, and help you figure out your next steps to get what you want in your life, business, and relationships. He trains and speaks and trains on a variety of topics, including diversity, equity, inclusion, thinking, limiting beliefs, communication, leadership, personal growth, reaching your potential, and team building. David is the author of two courses, Thinking for the Rest of Us and Limiting Beliefs for the Rest of Us. David is an executive director with the John Maxwell team of independently certified coaches, speakers, and trainers. He is a DISC certified consultant through People Keys, and David has his Master's of Divinity from Lincoln Christian University and currently resides with his wife, Liz, and their two children, Elise and Sam, in Springfield, Illinois. He came together with me today. In our conversation, we talked about thinking patterns and limiting beliefs and how they connect with the exacerbating influences of environments online and how to be intentional and mature in our digital relationships. So we cover things like uh, unfair comparisons and imposter syndrome. So this is a lot of action-packed, useful information that I really look forward to having you share your thoughts on with us after listening. But without further ado, welcome to Catalytic Curiosity. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, David. I am so excited to have you. When I was first cogitating upon this idea of a podcast way back when, you were one of the first people that popped into my head because I was thinking about maturity and how to grow with maturity and be able to be intentional about it. And when we first were networking after the Coach Connect uh, Mastermind uh, with Jared and everybody and us in our follow-up conversations, we just gravitated naturally to those kinds of topics anyway, because you work with people to help them develop maturity intentionally. So tell me a bit about that. And then we can dive into what specific kinds of maturity are necessary online in digital environments and what that looks like. So what's your deal? Yeah, James, thanks so much for having me today. I'm really glad to be with you. And uh, yeah, and I love this topic because I mean, what I look at and as I've I've gone through life, but what I've observed is so many people get stuck somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, people get stuck in a a place uh, mentally, maturity wise. And some of them, I mean, some people never get out of adolescence. I mean, I read, I read an article a while back and it just shocked me, but they defined adolescence. Well, here, I'm going to make you guess while, while we're on the podcast. Uh, what would you define the ages of adolescence if you were to take a guess? Uh, at which time period? Like what, in what era? Because adolescence is a modern invention. Today. Today. Adolescence. <laughs> okay, right now. World. Okay. So I might have read some of the same articles. So we'll see if I'm on point or not. But functionally speaking, I would guess currently adolescence stretches from 13 to 28. 
you're very close. They, they, they're saying between 10 and 30. 10 and 30. Oh my goodness. I was, I was giving credit. <laughs> yeah, you were right there. You were right there. But, but wow. the thing is, is what that means is, I mean, adolescence, when I was growing up, I mean, this would have been the 90s. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not that old. Yeah, it used to be like, you know, 10 to 16 or so. It was, it was 10 to 16. Sometimes they would take it all the way to 21. Mm-hmm. But I mean, depending on context, 10, correct. 10 years to adolescence, which means that people mm-hmm. are maturing sl- more slowly. Mm-hmm. People are um, not quote unquote, growing up into adulthood. I mean, mm-hmm. a new term that's come out in the last couple of years is adulting. Yes, yes, which yes. Is a term that's very crazy, but it's one of the hot buzzwords for the 20 somethings yeah. and even 30 somethings. How do I be, a, be an adult? Right. And so having been a youth pastor, it really was a place where I was just so incredibly passionate about helping my young people grow up, mm-hmm. helping them make choices, learn to think for themselves, learn to think well, mm-hmm. because what I noticed working with a lot of them, even my best students from the best families struggled to figure out what they want to do with their life. They struggled mm-hmm. to figure out how to, how to do it once they did figure something out. Mm-hmm. And then they second guess themselves. They questioned themselves over and over and over again, had tons of doubt, tons of mm-hmm. uncertainty and anxiety over it. And I said, there's got to be a better way. And that's really what led me into the speaking and coaching world is I said, you know, I really want to help these young people, these late teens, early 20s, moving into their 30s as late adolescents, if you will, right. group, help them make those decisions and start moving forward. And, and I heard a great quote on, I think it was Instagram the other day. And a guy said, people say, well, what, what, road, what path do I take? And, he, and what he said was, you start down a path because the path you're looking for may be halfway down that next path you're, you're on. Right, right. And, and I was like, wow, what a concept. Yes. Because when, and, and I think and that really that, fits that, well. That philosophy for me uh, has kind of defined my process of growth because I would have never thought in a million years that the path that I'm on right now would be where I was going to go intentionally. You know, I had other ideas. I had other plans, none of which came to actual fruition, but none of them were wasted because as I was moving towards them and preparing for them and working towards those goals, that got me to a place where I could then see around the corner to pivot in a better direction. So being able to accept that is so critical. Yeah. And so, I mean, so, I mean, if you're listening to this or watching this and, and you are kind of trying to figure out where to start. Start walking in a direction because you're probably not going to find the re- actual path you're looking for mm-hmm. until you you get halfway down this this starting path. Mm-hmm. So take a step, start moving. Who was it? I'm trying to remember who said it. Uh, I think it was actually Christian Simpson who said it, but he was quoting somebody else. I think when it says that if you're trying to turn a car, it's better to do it when the wheels are turning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to turn that wheel. When you're sitting flat on the concrete or the pavement, it's it's just grinding it, you know. But if you're just rolling even slightly, it just smoothly turns like with one finger, you know. It makes a huge difference. Sure. Well, and the faster you're going, the less you have to move the wheel. Yep. I mean, if you're going 20 and you try to turn, it's going to take longer to get around. But if you're going, Mm -hmm. I mean, on the interstate, you don't realize how much Mm -hmm. those uh, curves I mean, you barely move the wheel and you're around the curve. Yep. You're going 25. Those curves would be a whole different, different uh, maneuver. True. True. Very good point. Very good point. So, 
so yeah but but that's what really got me into this and i mean i love sitting down with people and, and of all mm-hmm. ages i mean not just 20s and 30s right. but love sitting down with people and helping them work through their thinking because that's where most yeah. people are stuck yeah. I mean, they get stuck in the way they think about things. They get stuck mm-hmm. in the way they think about their relationships, the way they get think about their mm-hmm. jobs, the way they think about their education, about their intelligence, about mm-hmm. what they're capable of. I mean, it's it's unbelievable to, to me. Some of the best people I've met, I mean, I, I mean, I look at them and go, wow, you've got so much potential, mm-hmm. but they're so stuck in between their ears yeah. that they can't even see it. And, and they can't bring that potential to fruition because you know it, it you know it says in scripture you know as a man thinketh in his heart so is he you know like the way mm-hmm. we think the way we live deep within ourselves that's where our identity can be shaped and if we aren't actually thinking in alignment with us actually moving forward and doing things with our potential it's as if we never had it absolutely absolutely and that's and that's what's what i what i love to do is i love to help people unlock their thinking so they can lock, unlock their potential Mm-hmm. I mean, it, once you start to become aware of it and that, and this, I mean, and when I, when I teach on this, when I, when I take people through my courses and things, James, I mean, what I love mm-hmm. to do is build the awareness yeah. because even the most Pollyanna positive thinking type of people, the people who are like, everything is perfect. Everything is wonderful. I mean, it's the old, you know, Lego song. I know some of those people, they're awesome to hang around with. <laughs> well, even those people, when you get them down into the actual thinking processes, mm-hmm. realize that they think more negatively than they want to admit. Yes, this is I, I've seen this. It's true. It is very true. And 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 I mean, I had I had one of those people who be, helped beta test one of my courses. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she was a great young lady, very positive outlook. Had a lot of trauma in her background, and mm-hmm. so she learned to think her way through a lot of it. Nice. She started going to the course, and she's just like, "Oh my gosh, I do this." I do this. I don't dwell on it, but I do do this. And we really ah, yes. helped bring some awareness to it because here's the key. And this mm-hmm. is, and this is critical. Your thinking is what unlocks your belief system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the way you think is, is hinting at what you actually believe. Right. Cause I mean, a lot of gurus start with the limiting beliefs. Oh, you've got limiting beliefs in you. And they talk about, I'm not good enough and I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, and or, or I, I don't deserve, or I can't. And, and they talk about some of those things. Well, the problem is all your thinking supports those beliefs. And so right. if you don't understand how you think, you can't possibly start to deal with your belief system. Because it's so deeply rooted and you need to actually change those behavior patterns in your mind in order to kind mm-hmm. of work back again to undermine those. Correct. Creating a new narrative, and really. It, it really is. And what's even more important for people to realize is once a belief is established, all you can do is malnourish it. It's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, if you've got an I'm not good enough belief in you, it's going to hang with you no matter how, no matter how hard you try. You can you can yeah. do, fill up and nourish a better root, you know, and I'm good enough, I'm sufficient type of a belief. Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be times when that other root is going to pop in. Right. No matter how so, hard you try. And so the key is, like you're mentioning with, with your Pollyanna friend, is being aware of it and then choosing where you're spending your energy, where you're dwelling on things, where Correct. you're investing. It's like, it's like the old, it's the old age of, you know, which, which dog are you feeding? Absolutely. Which are you going to bet on? Absolutely. And that's, and that's exactly it. And if, and if you're not, if you're, if you find your feet in the wrong dog all the time, you're going to have the bigger, stronger dog in the, in the very wrong place. Right. Right. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's kind of what, what's gotten me motivated and started here. And it's just, and I, and that's why I've written my two courses. That's why I'm mm-hmm. writing a book right now mm-hmm. is I just you do a lot of amazing people. stuff. Yeah. Well, I just want to help people take steps that are going to get them from here to there. Yeah. I mean, to help them realize that potential, to realize their contribution and to realize that that contribution may not be, you know, influence hundreds of millions of people, but it could be. It could be. But it's the matter is like, you, like starting somewhere, right? Start influencing people right, right around you. Absolutely. Start there. So, so let's, let's look at that though, because in looking at from the digital perspective in the digital world, mm-hmm. this is kind of where we sure. want to look at, you know, what are the, what are the ways to grow in maturity in online environments? And, you know, what mm-hmm. are some of the really common thinking errors that we're more susceptible to in digital environments? Uh, but also that's one thing that you just, you just mentioned thinking about the people right around you when you're online, it's almost like everybody's within arm's reach, the toxic people, as well as the non-toxic people. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so being able to relate to you, cultivating and curating your inner circle online and choosing who you're spending time with and, you know, which dog you're feeding also applies in those environments where, which streams, what people are my listening to? What's, what are my intake? What's, what's the, what's the, my diet online that's going to be shaping how I perceive things is really critical. Absolutely. Well, and here's, here's a very first tip I would give in that moment. Before you engage with anyone or anything online, make sure you've given yourself ample time to think about a topic before you do. Mm, intentionality. Correct. So if, if you're going to get online and if you're one of those people that likes to talk politics online, we'll just, we'll use a big, big <laughs> we're going right there, are we? <laughs> but if you're going to get online and talk about politics, before you get online, you better formulate a very strong understanding of what you think about it, what you're mm-hmm. going to say about it, and very carefully in a very appropriate place, post it. Yes. Now, I don't even encourage doing it, but if you put yes. it out there, if mm-hmm. you put it out there, you also have to think on the other side, I have created a, a discussion that has no open conversation where we can sit there and ask each other questions and interact. And there are going to be people who engage with it on both sides of my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be people who are going to attack me for my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so if you cannot handle somebody attacking you for your opinion, don't put it out there. Don't put it out there. Do not put it out there. I love that so much because in my own research in dealing with digital burnout and things like that, so much of the toxicity specifically comes from the reactive nature of things mm-hmm. online, where as you're scrolling, as you're doing things, you're reacting to it. It actually puts you in an addictive frame of mind. And so as you're lashing out in these, by default, you're putting yourself in a default mode of defensiveness. And you're mm-hmm. responding in a way that's not actually true to yourself. That's not true to what you believe. That's not true to the way you think. It's not true to your nature of how you normally behave with people that you care about. Because there's all this anonymity. There's all these distances that are in play. And all of this reactive nature of things. And so you're just lashing out randomly. And that is so toxic. So you may be frustrated that you're responding to other people's toxicity. But you're contributing to the problem as well just by being reactive. And so setting out with a clear intention like that, with a full picture, and I, but I also love the way you put setting intention of what you're going to do, but also setting an awareness 
of the responses to expect from it so you can pre-plan intentionality. That is so critical. Absolutely. Well, and just as an example, I, I played a game on my phone for a while that had a Discord group. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of your digital listeners are, are from. I've, I've got a Discord server. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got many well, Discord servers. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sitting there and we get into a pretty philosophical conversation outside of the game, which I mean happens mm-hmm. in those places. Oh, yes, yeah, totally. And, and one guy and myself were going back and forth about the reliability of the Bible and the historical accuracy mm. of mm-hmm. it and some of those things. Mm-hmm. And some of the other team members were more commenting on the type of conversation he and I were having mm. over the content of it. They Meta conversation. Arguing, yeah, they weren't in the conversation. They were just commenting about, they're like, wow, we would love to be in a coffee shop listening to the two of you talk about this. <laughs> I love it. Well, but I actually said in, at that point, I said, honestly, what you're seeing here is two people responding back and forth, which the conversation would be so much richer because we could actually build such a better conversation in it. Mm-hmm. And my, my rule of thumb with, with that kind of posting is always, I will, take, I will share a couple of facts. I will share a couple of insights. I will try to listen and respond carefully to mm-hmm. someone else's opinion and facts that they're sharing. Mm-hmm. But if it goes beyond that place of mm-hmm. five to 10 comments, right. I'm going to see if I can schedule a Zoom call. I'm going to see if I yeah. can schedule a phone call or a face-to-face yeah. if appropriate yeah. to see if I can have that conversation because a face-to-face conversation gives you the ability to read facial expression, yes. to read understanding, comprehension, yes. um, annoyance. I mean, all of those things mm-hmm. shut down. I mean, totally. you can tell when somebody shuts down. I mean, their eyes glaze over, they kind of slump in their chair and they kind of go, <laughs> they're not listening anymore. <laughs> they're done. They're done. You've lost them or you've offended them. Mm-hmm. You can't see that on a, on a Facebook post, for right, example. Right. You can't uh, see that in, in a Twitter conversation. Absolutely. There, there's uh, one of the guys I look up to a lot, uh, Mickey Connolly. He actually wrote uh, shameless, not um, uh, sponsored plug at all, but the communication catalyst. Mm. I think Kyle and Richard Janoschik, uh, they, and their, their company is conversant and I'm actually hoping to get one of the guys, one of their guys that work at their, at the company to be on this podcast at some point. Uh, but one of my all time favorite books. And one of the things that Mickey Connolly talks about is how there's an inverse correlation between the level of, uh, alignment that you have in a relationship and how many senses need to be engaged. In, in in yes. that conversation. So if you have very high alignment, you know, I joke, you know, if I, if I my wife and I are very, very high aligned, right? I can sure. text her half a sentence and she'll finish it for me still. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I'm in like high stakes negotiations, somebody who doesn't like me, right? There's not any alignment at all. And so we need to sit down and have a meal together on the other extreme. Sure. Right, engaging more and more of the human senses, more bringing more humanity <clears throat> into play, and so that, that's why I, I heartily agree with that. So when you're doing something, and I think time plays a factor in this. This is why yep. instant messaging is better than than emails, for example, with mm-hmm. the, that, that asynchronous component. There's chat is like a pseudo asynchronous communication means, and so that you can you can get more, but it's not as good as a phone call, and it's not as good as a Zoom meeting. And there's a point where I always set limits for myself, like particularly on like Facebook comments, right? 
If I'm going to engage somebody in a discussion, I weigh it very carefully beforehand. Okay, is there something I can actually positively add in this particular conversation? Is there somebody who's actually listening? Right. And then I set up myself a limit. It's like, I'm going to present my case to this degree, and I'm not going to go further than that. I'm not going to waste my time going and getting a master's degree in order to cite all of my sources to the nth degree on this one thing to persuade this one person. Not worth it. I'm going to present my case to this point as far as I'm prepared, and then I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to be cool with that. And I'm going to be humble enough <laughs> to not yep. talk, even if he's talked smack afterwards, like, oh, I scared you off. Like, I don't care. Well, and I think, James, you bring up an interesting point because, see, what ends up happening with a lot of those conversations is no one knows the rules of debate anymore. Oh, my goodness. I mean, no one knows how to argue. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, argue has become a negative connotated word mm-hmm. when an, an, a, an, a real argument is when you disagree with someone, but you have a congenial relationship with them and have that disagreement in following the rules of argument. You explore each other's positions with curiosity. Correct. And you may not agree at the end of the conversation. That's I mean, totally one of my fine. best friends. But the point is to learn. Absolutely. And one of my best friends, I mean, you know, he and I were peas in a pod thinking and, and beliefs wise all through college. We went to a Bible college together. But in later years, he's he's um, gone completely the opposite direction. And mm-hmm. he and I almost, I mean, if there's a topic, we probably disagree on it today. <laughs> However, we're still good friends. We right. still can talk about those things. We might get a little heated here and there with a couple of the conversations. <laughs> but I listen to him. I ask him about his point of view. He, he pretty much knows my point of view. And so he tries to argue against my point of view. <laughs> right, but, right. But we have some really good discussions about it, and it keeps me sharp because I'm willing to listen to the other side to understand it. Yes. And, and, and just as an example, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I always do this with when I am trying to get my mind around a topic, I'm not going to accept what I was told my whole life. Right. Now, it's not saying that what I was told my whole life was wrong, right or wrong. But like when the, when, back in the early 2000s, when the gay marriage issue came up. Mm. And there are a lot of people trying to talk about that. And again, I'm not going to talk about my viewpoint there. Mm-hmm. But what happened with that is they, I went, because I'm working with youth. I had mm-hmm. half of my youth group were struggling with gender identity, with oh, sexual yeah. identity. Yeah. And, and so I just wanted to be able to speak to them in yeah. a compassionate, caring way to help yes. work them through their adolescent years. Right. You wanted to right. be able to listen to them in an empathetic way, Correct. connect. Correct. With them. I didn't want to come down with a hammer and say, thou shalt, thou shalt not. I didn't want to go there because I knew that wasn't going to do any good for anybody. So what did I do? I went and read um, gay literature on mm-hmm. Christians in the church and Christians, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I read Christians and non-Christians. I read straight people writing about the topic, both sides. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I mean, anything, I, any combination thereof I could find, I read it just to hear the different points right. of view so that I could start to understand where these people, because I didn't have that identity. I didn't right. have that, that awareness. I wanted to hear from people who did and who had That's struggled better. through it, had worked through it, had studied it. And, and so that I could ultimately bring some things to my kids that might help them get through i love that i love that that's important and again like i said I mean, it's not here to, to argue one way or another oh, right, right, right. Type of a topic but it's to say you know when we're thinking about things we've got to move in better directions because otherwise we we're, we've got a very shallow argument a very shallow opinion we have to have the humility to be able to listen to the other side 
and, and but a lot of that that sense of maturity of the humility that allows us to be able to listen to the other side um properly requires us to be able to deal with some of our own thinking patterns and things because there's right. so many things that we struggle with in our heads that we may think like yes I want to listen to other people and have an open mind and think about and listen to other people. We may know that up here, but down here in our heart, our belief systems don't let us. Yep. Right. And so we struggle. With that. That's what we, that you deal with a lot is dealing with thinking patterns and belief systems that inhibit Absolutely. our maturation. And there's a few of them that you brought up earlier that are particularly yeah. relevant in digital environments. Absolutely. So let's let's pivot a bit and talk about a few of those. Uh, in definitely that are specifically exacerbated in online digital environments. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, I de- as I was thinking about our conversation today, the one of the ones that really came up is inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Inadequacy yeah. is such a difficult place to start yeah. because most of us feel inadequate in some way or another. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we look at, we look at what's in front of us. We look at our our, maybe our job, maybe our schooling, depending on what age you are listening to this, you look at your relationships and you just realize how much you don't know. Right. Well, when you get on digital, you get into <laughs> all these people who are sharing stuff online and the automatic assumption in our thinking is they're better than us. And so that creates a deeper sense of inadequacy. And all you could have is somebody who knows a lot and doesn't have any experience. Yeah. Because, I mean, well, and here, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was first a pastor, I was really big into reading a lot of the uh, spiritual classics. Oh, good. Stuff written in the 14, 15, 1600s. Nice. I mean, um, a lot of the uh, the saints on bo- on every side mm-hmm. of the of the um, Christian experience, mm-hmm. and I got into reading them, and I loved reading them. I loved getting into them and learning about their disciplines, about their spiritual life. Oh yeah! And I had so much up here knowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew so much about it. I understood it, <laughs> and well, one pr- book in particular, it's actually anonymous. They there's not a author named. Is the Cloud of Unknowing, and I love the work. Because the whole concept is there's only so much you can know, and mm-hmm. what you do know is not adequate to know God. And so yes. there's, there's this whole principle of you have to learn to unknow what you think you know <laughs> or to truly know. It, it, is, in Orthodox, I believe that we, we call it apophatic theology. It's, yes, apophatic the, the, theology. The, the, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I love absolutely. apophatic theology. It's core. But, but the crazy part is, is as, it, as you're reading this, I mean, this, the understanding of the concept is fairly easy. So I got the concept. But well, one of my but one of my professors was on his twentieth reading of this book. Okay, well, that's thinking for me. Twentieth reading, I'd read it once. Twentieth reading. There's a there's a very few books that I've read twenty times, and he <laughs> loved this book because it challenged him because he couldn't figure it out. Here I am sitting here going, I've got it figured out. Okay, you see where this is going. Oh, yes. Where this is going. I thought because I understood the concept, I had it figured out. What he realized is the irony practice, that this is a book about unknowing. <laughs> correct. The pra- yeah, exactly. And, and so the practicality of it was he realized that there was a deep level of personal understanding and growth and and in, in spiritual discernment and um, humility that went into this process. And he knew he didn't have it, neither did I, for that matter. Oh, yeah. 
but I got what it meant. Right. And I look back and I kind of chuckle because, you know, from an inadequate standpoint, I wanted so badly to be adequate mm. that it's like, oh, yeah, I get that. Right. You try and declare your own completeness by fiat in a sense, instead of actually going through the hard work. It's like a shortcut. Exactly. And, and I mean, they say the biggest gap in life is a gap between knowledge and knowledge and action. Mm, yes, Knowing absolutely. what you're supposed to do. Because, I mean, okay, here we are in January. Everybody's made their New Year's resolutions. And if we're on track, most people will last 18 days. So you got about six days left by the, at the recording of this, uh, <laughs> right. of this uh, thing, if you're, if you're the average person. Right. You know you need to eat better. You know you need to exercise more. You know you need know. to start doing this and start doing that. I mean, we all know it. This is why coaching is a thing. We'll <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next year we'll try again. Right. <laughs> but but see, that's it. In in this inadequacy is exasperated online. Yeah. Because someone who claims to be an expert mm-hmm. claims to be an expert. Right. And something. anyone can do that. And anyone can do that. I mean, heck, uh, one of the marketing guys I followed actually told you, declare yourself an expert status somewhere so that people respect you. Mm-hmm. He actually said that in his yeah. training. And so I looked at it and I'm like, well, heck, if I am the expert, th- the thinking expert, mm-hmm. that makes me more credible. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm here to tell you, I, I mean, if, even if it doesn't sell a lot of my books and courses, I am not the thinking expert. <laughs> I've done a lot of research, and a lot of study on it, but there are people who could, who can work, who can talk and write and know so much more about the brain, about thinking, mm-hmm. about limiting beliefs than I will ever know because they mm-hmm. put their life work into it and they're older than me. Mm-hmm. It may, I mean, it may be 30 or 40 yeah. years down the road. I might be able to claim some of that status, mm-hmm. but they've already got it. Yeah. But see, it doesn't make me feel inadequate because I know that what I've learned and what I have to offer is valuable. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is someone like me could put an absolute statement about thinking. Now, it could be mostly right, but it also could be mostly wrong. True. And so when somebody puts something out there online and you read it and go, oh, I'll never live up to that standard. Well, they may not even be living up to that standard. (laughs) Right, right. So you feel inadequate because someone else said something that they don't even do. Right. That that reminds me of a story that um, my priest uh, actually tells from seminary. Uh, that there was one of his teachers, he would go in and beginning of each, uh, I think at the beginning of each lecture or might've been at the beginning of each quarter. Um, he told us like 10% of everything I tell you in this is going to be wrong. If I knew which 10% it was, I wouldn't say it. Right. And evidently over the years, um, he actually adjusted to saying, so now he started, so he started saying, 20% of everything I tell you in this is wrong. Yes. And I love that. That's exactly what you're talking about. Having that sense of a humility to be able to not feel inadequate when still acknowledging that we're not perfect. We're not done yet. Well, in, in and in let me transition into our next topic here yeah. with, a, with a quote. Because, see, the other thing is, is if, if, you're, if you're just getting started with a new venture, if you're just getting started out, even you know, like late teens, early twenties, getting started into a, to something, I love this quote, and, and many people have said it. I, I don't know who the original source is, but don't compare your beginning with someone else's middle mm. or end. Mm-hmm. And I love that quote because our sense of inadequacy is usually looking at somebody ahead of us and going, "Oh wow, I'll never get there." Right. And that brings us into that second topic: is comparison. Yeah. 
And comparison, when we compare ourselves to one another, it just isn't fair. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to anybody. No, because it doesn't work. No matter how you compare, if you want to find somebody, you will always find somebody better. Well, here, uh, a little mm -hmm. quiz for everybody. You, you, can, you, you can answer for everybody, James, because um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really tough one. Uh-oh. How many people get a gold medal at the Olympics in, a, in one sport? In... How many gold medals? In one sport. One yeah, sport. I mean, if, we, if, we, if we take swimming, freestyle, okay. race, how many people get the gold medal? I'm going to say one for each You're competition. Right, one. Okay, good. One. <laughs> he says it's tough. I'm like, it's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> no, it's a simple question. Okay. <laughs> because there can only be one person who wins that race. Yeah. I mean, yes, it could be a team. I mean, I understand that, you know, right. that, but it's one team, one person wins that race. And the next year might be somebody else, but there's only one person absolutely, at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the thing is, is, and, and I mean, unless you're that person listening to this podcast, <laughs> who got second? In the first heat of the U.S. tryouts, who knows? Nobody knows. Yeah, because the first the first person got to go to the finals. The set person who got second didn't. Right. They might have been one hundredth of a second less than the first person. Right. And that first person might have won. Yeah. Something at the Olympics, but yeah. they didn't even get to go because they didn't beat that person in the trial. Right. Right. Because they're all, and, and, it's, and it's, it's all so close at there at the top. Exactly. Well, and, and that's, and that's my point is when you compare, mm -hmm. I mean, that person is comparing in hundreds and thousands of a second. And think what happens if they say, well, I'll just never make it. <laughs> right. I mean, but see, I mean, that's a, such an easy example compared mm -hmm. to when you're looking online. Right. You look online and you're I comparing yourself to the entire world. You're comparing yourself to the entire world. Exactly. So how did your vacation go? Let's go look at the Facebook pictures, right? <laughs> and when you see all these happy people sitting in whatever location they've chosen. Well, one of my favorite stories, yes. one of my favorite stories is one of those pictures of the, of the family of five people jumping on the beach. Now you've probably seen similar pictures because they seem to be all really gritting, popular. all happy, all, all their knees exactly. are insane. You know, sunset exactly. behind them. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and well, and, and how many people who say, listen to this have looked at one of those pictures and goes, "Man, it would be nice to be there doing that right now." Mm -hmm. And you compare to it, and you get yep. yourself a little jealous, you get yourself a little envious, you get yourself even a little upset that you aren't going to get that vacation this year because either the money didn't work out, the timing didn't work out, or yeah. whatever, right? Yep. Well, I heard a great story and I, I didn't know the person, the family personally, but I knew someone who knew the family person mm -hmm. and they got one of those pictures, right? Mm -hmm. There's mom and dad on the end and three young kids in the middle. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're all wearing white and they're on the beach. Perfect, you know, perfect picture of them smiling, all of them looking at the camera, all of their knees bent just right. And, I, and they said, if you ask the kids, they hated that day. Absolutely hated it because they spent over three hours getting that picture. They didn't get the point of the beach. Torture. Sit there. Torture. <laughs> exactly. The kids hated it. And the parents, by the end of it, were screaming and yelling, come on, we just got to do oh this. Oh, my goodness. I mean, can you imagine how tired your legs would be after three hours? Oh, jumping picture? up and down like that. <laughs> jumping up and down. I, mean, I know. I mean, I'm the oldest of eight, and we're trying to take family photos. 
and trying to get yeah. everybody just looking at the camera at the same time is hard enough, much less getting them all to smile at the same time and not make goofy faces. <laughs> but getting them all to jump at the same time, I cannot imagine. <laughs> well, and that's what I mean. Is it just? I mean, you see that picture, and it, it's snapped a moment in time. Mm-hmm. The rest of the vacation must might have been miserable. They might not even have talked to each other the rest of the vacation. You don't know that, <laughs> right? And and that's why, like I said, comparison online, you can't compare your so current reality to a moment in time snapped by a picture yep. or a 12 or 15 second video. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's awesome. Some of the talents and some of the things that come out online. I mean, it's so it I mean, inspirational. Amazed. Oh, absolutely. But, but the thing <laughs> is, don't compare yourself. Don't get yourself caught up in the thinking that, hey, you know, I need to. I've got to be more like them. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the old type of thinking. They used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> right. Right. And keeping up with the Joneses simply was you looked at the stuff your next door neighbor had and you tried to outdo them. So if they bought a, a new Chevy, you bought a, a next step above it. Mm-hmm. You know, if they got a, a 46 inch TV, you got a 50. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was kind of that kind of a deal. I mean, there even yep. a movie out uh, a few years ago where they where they made a like a marketing family who went into those, a new neighborhood, and they had and they gave them all the latest gadgets, and they basically took them out, and their whole job was to sell all these gadgets, and they they made money over the course of a year based on selling all these gadgets. <laughs> So, I mean, the wife had designer stuff and she had to convince the ladies in this upscale neighborhood to, you know, but online now, it makes it all. Everybody's Joneses. You're seeing all the Joneses in the entire world. Exactly. And and I've been reading a lot on finance and wealth recently. Hmm. And they said the difference between a wealthy person and a middle class and poor person is is what they buy. Hmm. I mean, they said middle class and poor people buy the stuff that makes them look rich. The wealthy right. people buy things that they can afford and that they that they're willing to part with money on that they are not going to invest or use elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they say it's a huge discrepancy because yeah. you know a lot of people go out and buy a luxury car or a luxury house. And I mean, I know a family here in town that I mean. They bought a house in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. but they can't, they drive a, a old beater of a car. <laughs> they shop at Goodwill for all their clothing. They, I mean, they're just shy of food stamps as far as food's concerned, <laughs> but they have the house, but there's no furniture in it. They can't even entertain in it, oh, man. <laughs> but they got the house. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh my goodness. Setting your values. You know, it is about your values. It's about, and see, when you make comparisons, I mean, if if someone unbeknownst was to see that the picture of this couple's house, Mm -hmm. they go, wow, that's amazing. And they compare it. Wow, I wish I had something like that. Mm -hmm. But then when you hear about the rest of the lifestyle, it's like, Mm, you're not. And this this cycles right into the imposter syndrome, too. Because I think the next Absolutely. one that was coming up is how, how big of an issue imposter syndrome. Because these like just, it's a vicious cycle that cycle right into this. And it's something that Absolutely. I've looked at a lot in dealing with digital burnout because so much of the inefficacy, which is one of the three pillars of burnout, is the sense of imposter syndrome where you feel like you're not accomplishing, you're not getting a sense of feedback or accomplishment because you're seeing other people around you 
you're comparing yourself to other people and their successes and you're only seeing your failures and you're only seeing their successes. Well, and, and the thing is, though, is you also have to say their perceived successes. Right. Because they're all polished. Exactly. They're polished and reported because that's one of my biggest arguments with a lot of the gurus. Mm. Now, some of them are better at it than others. But one of my biggest arguments is they don't talk about the, the hard, terrible work that they did to get where they are. Yeah. Yeah. They don't walk you through the sleepless nights, the bankruptcies. I mean, some of them do. And I mean, I mean kudos to yeah. them for doing it. Right. But they, they downplay them so much to make them sound like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. You know, those three years where we, you know, were in, in food lines and didn't know where we we're going to sleep each night weren't that big of a deal. Well, guess what? Like, you know, I mean, say like, you know, I worked really super hard and, you know, put in 80 hours a week to push through and put had a lot of grit and everything. And they, they don't talk about what that impact that had on their family or their other priorities mm-hmm. and what that looked like and how Correct. that felt in the process. Correct. And they don't go there. And that's why, and I mean, I mean, I heard a statistic and, I, and I, it was 70 or 75% of C-suite executives deal with um, imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because they, they have all of these thoughts that go through their head and imposter syndrome is a thinking pattern. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a thought, a mixture of thoughts, and, and this is, and I want to put a little bit of time here. I know we're getting close to our, mm-hmm. our time here, but um, these are the, the thoughts that happen with imposter syndrome is, I don't deserve this. Right. I don't deserve this level of income. I don't deserve this office. Or if you go into relationships, I don't deserve this trophy spouse <laughs> or, or however you might look at it. I don't deserve yeah. to be able to drive this. Yeah. This luxury car. I don't deserve to live on this street. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I don't deserve to have these kinds of friends. Right. It's also thinking, you know, it's and it comes in the form of question sometimes. Who am I to be able to do this? Mm. Who am I to be able to? And so these questions, and these are thoughts. Now remember what I said before: thoughts are what uncover your belief system. Right. So let's take a couple of those thoughts and think about that. Because when you say, I, um, who am I to, um, to have this income? Mm-hmm. You're questioning and your belief system is saying, I have a certain amount of money I deserve to make. Mm-hmm. You're saying. That's part of your identity. Because that who am I question that. ties it directly to your identity. Correct. And so these beliefs about your identity, I mean, these are, these are tough because it's moving to self-value. It's moving to self-worth. It's saying my skill set does not deserve to get paid this amount of money. Right. I mean, that's basically what you're telling yourself. But mm-hmm. when I say it like that, most people go, oh, no, wait, 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 wait a second here. <laughs> but your thinking's betraying you. Yeah. Your thinking's betraying you. And so when you're dealing with this imposter syndrome, what you're doing is you're, you're actually coming up against your beliefs about yourself. You're coming up about your beliefs about your self-worth, about your personal value. You're coming up against your beliefs about your skill set and your abilities. You're coming up against your belief system about your Mm -hmm. capabilities and how far you can go, your potential. And so if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you've got beliefs sitting inside of you that are holding you back and you are not conscious of them yet. Right. And so would you say the key then? Um, and kind of tying this together and possibly circling back to the very first advice you gave mm-hmm. 
that the solution or part of the solution rather, because it's never one singular thing uh, for dealing with, you know, the, the comparison, the inadequacy, the imposter syndrome, and all these components, uh, particularly online, when you're dealing with such a huge exacerbation of that problem, right? Mm-hmm. Is really awareness, being aware of those thoughts and coming back and being able to look at those thoughts from an almost an external view and be able to say, this is what I'm thinking. Is that right or not? And then being able to Absolutely. set intentionality in response to that. That goes back to the intentionality we talked about earlier, where before you go online, you set out your expectations and your plans and what your intentions Absolutely. are and your awareness of what's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and James, I mean, that is the most critical thing because if you can learn to evaluate your thoughts, here, here, I, want, I want, want everybody to hear this, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to hear this. Thoughts are neither good nor bad, positive or negative. Thoughts are neutral. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any thought that enters your head. Mm-hmm. Because a thought is a thought. There's nothing been done with it. It comes thought. in, it goes. So, absolutely. So even if I said the most awful thing I could possibly say, um, you know, that I'm going to do this, that, or the other, that's completely wrong and immoral and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I won't say any of those things because who knows who's listening. And I don't want anybody to think I'm in the, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but even if I said that, the thought does not mean I have to act on it. Right. And even if I had that thought to take it and say, is that a legitimate thought? Is that thought worth thinking? Is that thought beneficial to me, to my future, to my career, to my relationship? And to and analyze it and say, Actually, that's probably not going to be getting me too far because that's probably going to land me in jail or on a uh, potential death row if I have the wrong, absolute wrong type of thought. Right. <laughs> and and so that's not going to help me hit my life goals. Mm-hmm. But see, most people aren't willing to take the time to think mm-hmm. through that. Right. And that is why it's so critical. And this, and I mean, that's why I've written my courses. That's why I've written my I'm writing my book is. Most of us struggle with this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hard pressed to even give a statistic on this, and there, you're not going to find this anywhere. But I would say less than 10% of people are positive thinkers to the point where they rarely deal with negativity. Hmm. And I'm sure that number's high. I'm sure I, uh, I, I, I might even argue that there's actually none. And I would too. <laughs> I would too. But here's the point. I mean, I mean, they may have dealt with their thinking enough. And worked it through these type of processes enough that they've eliminated the effect of a lot of the negative thinking. Right. They're not governed by them, but those, those thoughts Correct. still enter. They still have to be dealt with. And but that those and thoughts aren't our identity. Absolutely. And if you're listening to this and you're one of those people who struggles with severe depression yeah. and anxiety, you may be one of those people who very rarely has a positive head, thought go through your head. That would be the other side. Right. And, and, I, and I mean, in that group, I mean, please, 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 please find the help, seek the, yeah. seek the help that you need yeah. to deal with that. I mean, right. do, I would never. It's not something you can do on our own. You need help with that. Exactly. Exactly. But for the other 80%, mm. you're part of the rest of us. Yeah. We're going to have good and bad thoughts. Some of us are going to have more good thoughts. Some of us are going to have more bad thoughts. There's systems to work through it. There's yeah. ways to deal with it. And it starts with building a huge awareness around your thinking that helps you uncover your beliefs. And once you start to uncover your beliefs, you can start nourishing the ones that you want and malnourishing the ones that you don't want. Right. Right. I love it. And that, and that is, and that is the critical piece. 
So James, I want to share one uh, a favorite poem of mine to help wrap sure. up. Absolutely. Here. And um, it's by Marianne, Marianne Williamson. It's one of my favorites. I love it. It's it's one that I've shared numerous times. I shared in a lot of my webinars. I shared mm-hmm. in my course because it's just it just hits it so well. And, um, and and one of the things we didn't talk about today, but it's a very much an underlying piece to all of this is mm-hmm. fear. Yes. And and so yes. I love this quote. I love this poem. It says this: Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. I love love that. I love that. That's good. Because it just reminds us we have a responsibility and that is to be the best version of ourselves. And that's why I love dealing with thinking in comparison and thinking and uh, beliefs, because it gives us the ability to compare ourselves to ourselves rather than trying to keep up with everybody else. I love it. And on that note, I think that's a great place to wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much, David, for joining me and discussing some of these really important topics that really lay a foundation for growing in maturity in digital places. I look forward to having you back again sometime in a future episode to talk more about these because there's so much more we can explore here. Absolutely. So thank you so much again. Yes. Thanks, James. I appreciate being here. I appreciate working with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had your curiosity sparked to explore these subjects with greater awareness or gained a valuable insight along the way. Take a look at the show notes for links for how to discover and get to know both David and myself. You can find David on Facebook at Find Your Next Step or on Instagram at SWI80 and on LinkedIn as well with David Swihart, S-W-I-H-A-R-T. And make sure to check the links again below. Re- leave reviews wherever you can. Make sure to join the conversation on my Discord. Again, links in the show notes. Remember, community is the catalyst that drives lasting transformation, and I'll see you in the next episode of Catalytic Curiosity.